listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. This is probably one of the most important messages I've ever given considering the times in which we live and the topic that we're going to look at in this passage of Scripture. Three verses is all we're going to look at. But if you apply these three verses in your life, if you take these three verses of Scripture to heart and you put them into practice in your life, your entire life is going to be revolutionized. Literally revolutionized from the ground up. Fundamentally, your life is going to be different if you put this into action. We're looking at our Father's Word in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to turn on our Father's Word beginning in verse 42. Your number one most important pursuit in your life, the thing that you go after more than anything else in your life, must be intimacy with God. There is no pursuit that you could go after that is more significant, more relevant, more pertinent, more far-reaching, more life-changing than pursuing God. Intimacy with God. You will either be a man or a woman, boy or girl, who's intimate with God, or you will be intimate with somebody or something else. You have to make up your mind who you're going to be intimate with in the course of your life, and then you have to go for it hook, line, and sinker. You have to be deliberate. You have to be intentional about seeking God, or else you run the risk of going through your life and missing Him. Did you hear what God just blasted? You have to be deliberate about seeking God or you will go through life missing Him. There is no pursuit in your life more important than intimacy with God. Intimacy with God will change everything about you. You will literally be unrecognizable if you make intimacy with God, the pursuit of God, your number one passion in your life. You've got to cross over from dreaming about it. You've got to cross over from thinking about it occasionally to making it happen. Intimacy with God, the number one most important thing in your life. Life is happening. Live it. Your life. Right now. It's happening. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 says this, and when it was day, he, Jesus, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Today I want you to find a desolate place. Get focused, kill your smartphone, and preach the gospel. This is what God wants you to understand today. He wants you to find a desolate place. Get focused, kill your smartphone, and preach the gospel. Look what's happening here in verse 42. It's morning. 
Morning comes after nighttime. Jesus has spent the evening of the day before casting out demons, healing the sick. He's become popular. People recognize that the anointing of God is on Jesus. Listen, the purpose of Jesus' miracles was not just to heal people, not just to get people delivered from evil spirits. It was so that people would give their lives to Jesus as the Savior, as their Messiah. The greatest need for healing that we have is for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the greatest sickness that we have. Sin in the Bible is likened to sickness. And if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you are walking around with the greatest disease known to man. It's called sin. You are a walk, you're a zombie. You're a walking dead man, walking dead woman. You've got to have that sickness of sin taken care of. You've got to be healed from the inside out. And that only comes first and foremost by personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. People are coming to Jesus. They recognize that the hand of God is on him. Jesus is becoming popular. And so in the morning, what does Jesus do? He goes out to the front of the house and he begins where he left off. He continues to heal. No, he doesn't. Jesus, what's the matter with you? In Italian, we would say, what's the matter for you? Jesus steps away from the busyness and the craziness and the urgency and the importance of touching people's lives, being involved in people's lives. He retreats and he goes to a desolate place. That's what happens. He pulls himself away because he knows if he doesn't pull himself away, the people are going to pull him away. Did you see what happened here in this passage of Scripture, verse 42? When it was day, he departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. It's amazing how man, mankind, humankind always has an agenda that is marked in stark contrast to the agenda of God. Man, people, you and I tend to think we know what God needs. We know what we need. We think we know what we need, but God knows what we really need. Jesus knew what he really needed. He did not need to go and preach at that very moment. He did not need to go and heal and cast out demons at that very moment. What he needed was intimacy with his daddy. That's what Jesus needed. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, you've got to be like the one you say you follow. You've got to be like Jesus. Jesus wants you to go to a desolate place. Get your act together. More importantly, get focused. More importantly, let God get your life into focus. Let God get your life into focus. Kill your smartphone and preach the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, makes it abundantly clear what Jesus is doing. What is he doing in this desolate place, this lonely place? Verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he checked his emails. No. There he texted There he surfed the internet. There he watched television. There he broke out his Nintendo. 
and his Xbox, and yay, it was great. No. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, before the busyness of day began, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. We get an insight here into who was looking for him. Luke alludes to it. Here, Mark makes it very clear. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Jesus understood that his focus was in direct proportion to his private intimacy with his father. You will never be in public what you are supposed to be unless you are in a desolate place where you're meeting with your daddy. Your daddy is calling you. Your heavenly father is calling you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you say that you have given your life to Christ, you've got to be like the one you are following. Jesus understood the importance of getting alone in a place where he didn't have a smartphone or a computer or internet access. He was not going to be distracted. Jesus understood the importance of private, intimate, uninterrupted time with his father. He understood that everything he was going to do publicly, everything he was going to do publicly, do you understand everything you do publicly is going to be a reflection of what you do in the private secret closet that you have in the desolate place where it's just you and God. You will never reach your potential as a man or woman who says you're a follower of Christ if you neglect the desolate place. You will never reach your potential as a man, woman, boy, or girl until you prioritize that desolate place. Jesus understood that his public ministry was an overflow of private intimacy with God. Listen, you might be thinking at this point, well, listen, you're paid to be good. I'm good for nothing. No. You might be thinking you're a pastor. You're supposed to preach the gospel. No. You might be thinking that's for an evangelist. That's for Billy Graham. Billy Graham is supposed to be evangelizing and preaching the gospel. No. The gospel is preached by anyone and everyone who says they are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how it gets done. We have enough people hearing my voice right now in this building that if we were intentional and deliberate about preaching the gospel, our church would multiply in one week's time. One week's time. God's evangelistic strategy is sitting next to you. And it looks at you in the mirror when you face it. Jesus understood that personal intimacy with father with his father was not just important it was imperative. Jesus understood that the first ministry to which he was called was intimacy with his father. If you are not deliberate about seeking God, listen. If you're not deliberate about seeking God, you run the risk of going through your life missing him. Missing him. Who in their right mind would want to go through life missing God? Jesus 
pursued a desolate place. You've got to find a desolate place, a place without interruption, where there's no tablet, where there's no smartphone, where there's no internet, where there's no television, where there's no radio. You say, I find my time in the Lord when I'm driving my car. That's great driving your car. It's good to pray to the Lord and talk to him all the, all the way and all along, but make sure that that is focused time of intimacy with God, that your desolate place is really a desolate place. Because if you don't prioritize a desolate place, your life will become very desolate. Your life will be one of chaos, distraction, difficulty and hardship that otherwise you would not experience if you prioritized the desolate place and the secret closet. Where's your place? Where's the place that you go on a regular basis where you can get away with God, just you and God, and listen? You know, the amazing thing about this passage of Scripture is that just in three verses, we understand that Jesus makes it clear that he came to preach the gospel after he was in the desolate place. He came to preach the gospel. It wasn't the central idea of Jesus' life to heal and cast out demons. That was significant and important to cause people to listen to him so that he could preach the gospel about repentance and salvation and the forgiveness of sins. We always have to remember that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing when it comes to the life and ministry and the works of Jesus is that forgiveness of sins is found only in his shed blood and personal faith of what he did on the cross. The main thing about the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. The miracles, the healings, the casting out of demons was not the central purpose of why Jesus came. They're supposed to point us to the idea that we are all sinners. We're all rowing the same boat in the wrong direction, away from God, far from him. We are zombies. We are the walking dead until we give our lives to Christ and our sins are forgiven. Many of us pursuing things that are okay, but they're not God's best. Many of us turned and tossed and distracted by many things because we are neglecting the secret closet, the desolate place, the quiet place of no distractions where it's you and God, as you're looking at his word, the Bible, when you are meditating on the word of God, you'll be able to tell others about the God of his word. Do you understand what that's, that means? When you are meditating on the word of God, you will be able to tell others about the God of his word. That's what Jesus did. That's what little Christs do. The word that was first used in Antioch, describing Christians first used in Antioch almost two, over 2,000 years ago. If you're going to be a little Jesus, a little Christ... You've got to do what Jesus did. You've got to go where Jesus went. You've got to be like Jesus. And if Jesus understood the importance, the priority of getting away from the hubbub, away from the hustle and bustle of public ministry, so he could have private ministry with his father, then you and I would be smart 
we'd be wise to do the same. Many of us, our marriages are in a condition for no other reason. They're in the condition, the poor condition that they're in, because you are neglecting a desolate place personally and privately. You want to see it? You want to experience an extreme home makeover? You have to discover the desolate place where you cry out to God and stop asking him to change everybody else. Ask him to change you. If all of us would make ourselves available to the Lord and ask him right here, Lord, right here, right now, I'm asking you, I don't care if the whole world neglects you and rejects you, I'm just asking you to change me. If the whole world began to do that, my goodness, we'd have a revolution. And I'm talking about a spiritual revolution. Not a political one. Not a military revolution. I'm talking about a spiritual revolution. We would see it. Jesus understood the importance of private time with his daddy. We've got to understand it too. Until we do, a man, a woman, a boy or girl is of no public use until they are involved in private intimacy with their father. You are of no public use to God in ministry to the degree to which you otherwise would be until and unless you prioritize that desolate place where you're praying. Now, when you pray, it's not babble time. People think that I'm praying. You know, I'm, I'm going to go and pray, and they do all the talking. Have you ever been on the phone with somebody who does all of the talking? It drives you insane. Have you ever had a computer problem? I know those of you who have PCs and have not made the conversion to Macs yet have many computer problems. And yes, even those of us who have crossed over to the world of Mac have computer problems. But I know that when I call Mac, when I call Apple, I'm not going to get somebody from the other half of the world who has a strong accent with a delay on the phone line where I'm trying to talk and they're trying to talk at the same time. We're talking over each other until you get so frustrated you realize somebody's got to shut up. We're not getting anywhere here. Prayer is not just about talking. Prayer is about, first and foremost, listening to your daddy, to your heavenly father, listening to him. And you've got to prioritize, if you're going to listen to God, you've got to prioritize the word of God. You've got to have the word of God cracked open right there in front of you, meditating upon, chewing upon, reflecting upon the word of God, because that is the primary vehicle through which God is going to speak to you. And if you are in the word of God, you will then be able to tell others about the God of whose word you've been chewing on and meditating upon. But you've got to go to the desolate place. You've got to get away. You've got to prioritize it. You say, well, that's not even possible for me as a housewife. How can I even possibly begin to do that? I've got children. There are all types of distractions. You know how you try You do that? For those of you who are married, you're a husband. Men, I know because I do it. You work long hours. You're trying to bring home the bread for your family. I know. But when you come home after that long day, your wife has also been putting in long hours. She's been good for nothing, literally. Not getting paid to be involved in the most important job there is, raising godly offspring. Nobody's giving her a paycheck like they're giving you men. 
When you come home after work, your wife needs some relief. She needs some release. Not to go work on a pedicure and a manicure, although that's important. Wives, you need to go to the desolate place. I'm telling you, as surely as I'm standing here with even greater certainty, the times that we are living in are dark. They are dangerous. There is this sense in which the whole world is standing on the edge of a precipice awaiting for the next wave of God knows what, literally, we can sense it and we can feel it and yet we are neglecting the desolate place we're neglecting going away and spending time with the Lord many of us are going to be caught off guard by by whatever circumstances might come about Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be at the coming of the son of man people are going to be eating and drinking marrying and being given in marriage they're going to be going about all of their daily affairs as if it was the same thing different day and when he comes back A great number of people, the majority of them, are going to be caught off guard because they're not discerning the times that we're living in. The reason why they're not discerning the times they're living in is because they're not getting away and spending time with their daddy. If you would get away to a desolate, secret place and pursue pursue God, seek Him deliberately, God would be showing up. He'd be speaking to you through His Word. And you would be better prepared for anything and everything that comes your way. I dare you to try to keep living in a perpetual state of unpreparedness because you've neglected that desolate place. I dare you to just go through life and continue to exist with a heartbeat and brainwaves instead of rising to the level you otherwise would rise to as a man of God, as a woman of God, as somebody who's given their life to Christ, who is supposed to be following Jesus and doing what Jesus did. You've got to follow the Lord and as you follow Him, ministry will happen as a matter of overflow. You can't help but tell people about Jesus Christ if you are in that desolate place. When you come out of it, you're ready to go. Jesus was, and you'll be ready too. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I did not start my walk with the Lord intending to be a preacher of the gospel. I didn't. I had a series of events that happened in my life that pummeled me when I was in college. Absolutely pummeled me. Brought me to the brink of despair. I was even at one point suicidal. Yes, I was. I was even, your pastor was even suicidal at one point. I knew that it would be a dead end road because who wants to take their own life and stand before the Lord and say, oh, I guess there's no going back now. I realized that suicide's not a solution. It just just changes your location forever. It doesn't change your circumstance. I was in that position. I met somebody at my house, my friend Tom. He's become a close friend of mine, a lifelong friend. You know, we didn't start off as lifelong friends, but we are to this day, back from 1987. He had gone through a similar set of circumstances and we made it our ambition. We would get together and we would pray. We made a covenant with each other that within five minutes time of getting together every week, we would be on our knees in my room praying. And that became a one hour time that developed into two hours, that developed into sometimes three hours and four hours. After a number of months of meeting, calling out to the Lord and meeting with him literally, face to face, confessing our needs to him, confessing our shortcomings, telling him how how desperate we were for him to show up in our lives and bring healing to us, we found ourselves on a train station platform in New Brunswick, New Jersey, preaching the gospel. I hadn't gone to Bible school. 
Hadn't gone to seminary. Didn't know how, what, it, what it meant to study the Bible. It didn't matter. When you are in that secret place with God, God literally gives you his heart. He literally gives you something to say. He shows you what the next step is in your life where it becomes so clear that you know that if you were to disobey, you would be walking away from him, not walking with him. And Jesus teaches us right here. See, I'm not sharing with you something special and magical and mystical about me. I'm just proving that the Bible is true. Jesus went away to a desolate place and then after he was with his father, meeting with his father, he was recharged. He was invigorated. He was on focus. You've got to prioritize a desolate place. You've got to get focused. You've got to kill your smartphone and then you'll preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel public ministry is always an overflow of private intimacy with God. You'll either pursue God deliberately or you'll go through your life missing him Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says this. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. One of the most famous passages of scripture. I'm not sure we fully understand what it's saying here, but let's look at it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you hope and the future. We love to quote that particular part and we should. And we should. But look at this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Leave that right there. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with half your heart. No. All your heart. And I'll tell you with myself as firsthand experience, I have never found that verse to be untrue. There are times when I've had to call out to the Lord desperately as if my life literally depended upon it. And it did in multiple instances. When I had cancer, when I was in intensive care for another illness I had, when I was in ministry on the other half of the world and I felt the presence of God so strongly, I thought the ground was going to open up and swallow me. I know what it's like to call out to the Lord and to seek Him in absolute desperation where if he literally does not come through, I am toast. And in every one of those situations, every single one of them, I have found him to be true. You will seek me and find me when you seek, seek me with your whole heart. One of the reasons why we can't seek God with our whole heart is because we're distracted. We are a people of distraction. Smartphones are in the process of taking over the world. Smartphones. Now, I'm a smartphone fan. I've got one. I use the God Factor app. I encourage it. But smartphones, smartphones, the whole idea behind them is that you will be wise enough to use a smartphone. Or the smartphone will use you and your whole life will revolve around it. Smartphones are in the process of taking over the whole world. The average person checks their phone every six and a half minutes now. Six and a half minutes. More smartphones are activated each day than there are babies born. No joke. True statistic. 1.3 million Android devices are activated every day. That means that every 24 hours, more than four times as many new smartphones and tablets are set up than babies. 300,000 babies a day. More smartphones being set up. Once the devices are activated, they're checked on average 150 times a day, once every six and a half minutes. What would happen in your life if your ambition was to call out to God and to check in with Him half as many times through the course of a day? You'd be unrecognizable. 
If you're not deliberate about seeking God, you're going to miss him. You say, well, I don't have a smartphone. I'm too dumb to use one. Well, maybe you're one of these in the average of average American, according to a Nielsen statistic, the average American spends 34 hours a week watching television. 34 hours a week watching television, plus another three to six hours watching taped programs. You know that thing that's called the hopper? You need to pull it out by its cords and throw it into the hopper. You are spending, if you're one of those average people, watching 34 hours a week, close to 40 hours a week, in some instances more if you're above average, you're spending the equivalent of what somebody would take to get a few PhDs in education. And I can guarantee that what you're watching on television is probably not as intense and intriguing and as transformational as somebody who is working on their PhD. You might say, well, I only watch 15 hours of television a week. Good for you. Tremendous amount of time to be watching something that is not eternally significant in light of what is happening in this day in the history of the United States. Are we paying attention to what is happening? The Holy Spirit should be wooing and pursuing us. He is. Why is it that we are not necessarily hearing his voice, heeding his call? Why is it that we are so easily distracted? If your children are awake, they are probably online, according to a study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation. On the internet, the average young American now spends practically every waking minute, except for time in school, using a smartphone, computer, television, or other electronic device, according to a new study from the Kaiser Family Foundation. Those ages 8 to 18 spend more than seven and a half hours a day with such devices compared with less than six and a half hours five years ago. Listen, when the study was last conducted, now this was done in 2010. We are three years further down the road. This does not count their hour and a half that youths spend texting or the half hour they talk on their cell phones. Listen to this, because so many of them are multitasking. That's, you know, surfing the internet while listening to music, they pack an average of nearly 11 hours of media content into that seven and a half hours. It's, it's incomprehensible. Let me ask you a question. Where are we finding time to seek after God? We want to claim a promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. We've got to live that promise. You'll seek me and find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. We can't have the promises of God unless we meet what God wants us to do. Do I sound legalistic? I'm not being legalistic. That's Bible. If then. You want a revolution in your marriage? You can have it. You want transformation in your workplace? You can have it. You want transformation in your personal life? You got it. Find that desolate place. Get focused. Kill your smartphone. Preach the gospel. Another study said this, surfing the internet for long periods of time can cause withdrawal symptoms similar to people on a come down from ecstasy, that illegal drug. The results of this study showed that heavy web users tend to be more depressed and show higher levels of autism traits. Now, when somebody comes into my office and they say they're depressed and they're doing this and they're moving in all kind of funky fashion, I've learned that the first question I ask them is how much time do you spend on the internet? 
Because if you're addicted to internet use and you're spending an inordinate amount of time on the internet, you're going to have depression, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're going to be hampered. They're going to be hindered. They're going to be squelched. And you're going to have autistic symptoms possibly. Maybe it's for no other reason than you are pursuing intimacy with your computer instead of intimacy with Jesus Christ. You see, you're either going to pursue Jesus and be intimate with him, or you're going to be intimate with somebody other than Jesus. You're either going to seek after God and find him, or you're going to miss him all along the way. You've got to decide. You have to decide. Are you going to be at the end of your life, whenever that might be, a man or a woman who's intimate with God, or a man or a woman who missed him when you had every opportunity? When people come offline after long internet usage, they suffer increased negative mood, just like people coming off illegal drugs. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that one of the characteristics of the time just before his return would be this. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Is our society now not more characterized by an increase of wickedness? People lacking love, lacking concern for each other? Are we surprised that our teenagers are out of control, hard to deal with, unruly, hard to get focused, ADD, attention deficit disorder, you know, these issues that doctors and physicians assistants have to deal with repeatedly. Why is it that that's such an issue today? Could it be that our smartphones, our smart devices, our tablets, our internet uses, use, our televisions, our gaming, all of that stuff is getting the best of us and we are not deliberately seeking after God. We're not finding Him. We're not finding Him. There's a nonprofit organization called TED, T-E-D. It stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. They came up with this information. They did this study. They say, we spend three billion hours a week as a planet playing video games. Currently, there are more than half a billion people worldwide playing computer and video games at least an hour a day, and 183 million in the U.S. alone. The younger you are, the more likely you are to be a gamer. 99% of boys under the age of 18 and 94% of girls under the age of 18 report playing video games regularly. The average young person racks up 10,000 hours of gaming by the age of 21. Listen to how mind-boggling this is. The average young person racks up 10,000 hours of gaming by the age of 21 or 24 hours less than they spend in a classroom for all of middle and high school combined if they have perfect attendance. It's a remarkable amount of time we're investing in games. Five million gamers in the U.S. in fact are spending more than 40 hours a week playing games. The equivalent of a full-time job. Hmm. The Guardian came out with this report, a paper in England. There was a study done in Japan and they found this. Computer games are creating a dumbed down generation of children far more disposed to violence than their parents. The tendency to lose control is not due to children absorbing the aggression. This is what the study found. It's not due to children absorbing the aggression involved in the computer game itself as previous researchers and research has suggested, but rather to the damage done by stunting a developing mind. Listen, 
Using the most sophisticated technology available, the level of brain activity was measured in hundreds of teenagers playing a Nintendo game and compared to the brain scans of other students doing a simple, repetitive math exercise. To the surprise of brain mapping ex expert Professor Ryuta Kawashima and his team at Tahoku University in Japan, it was found that the computer game only stimulated activity in the parts of the brain associated with vision and movement. In contrast, arithmetic stimulated brain activity in both the left and the right hemispheres of the frontal lobe, the area of the brain most associated with learning, memory, and emotion. Most troubling of all was that the frontal lobe, which continues to develop in humans until the age of about 20, also has an important role in playing and keeping an individual's behavior in check, whether you use self-control to refrain from lashing out or doing something you shouldn't is a matter of the way your frontal lobe, the frontal lobe of your brain functions. Students who played computer games were halting the process of brain development and affecting their ability to control potentially, potentially antisocial elements of their behavior. The importance of this discovery cannot be underestimated, Kawashima told the observer. There's a problem we will have with a new generation of children who play computer games that we have never seen before. The implications are very serious for an increasingly violent society, and these students will be doing more and more bad things if they are playing games and not doing other things like reading aloud or learning arithmetic, and I might add to that, like seeking God. If you are a Mother and a father, your primary responsibility is to be a man or a woman who's seeking God. And you had better be modeling that for your children because you know what your children are learning? How to text, how to email, how to watch television, how to game, Nintendo, Xbox, whatever it might be. The average person has an average of 41 apps on their smartphone or their, or their tablet. If you are a mother and a father, if you are a guardian of young children, you have better make it your priority to be a man or a woman who is intimate with God. Don't just talk about being intimate with God. Talk is cheap. You've got to show your children what a mother, what a father looks like, what a guardian looks like who walks with God in that desolate place, that secret closet. You've got to be able to come out of that closet a new person. They need to be able to see when mommy and daddy pray, Jesus changes them. Because if they don't see that, they're going to be influenced by this stuff. The tablets and the smartphones and the television and the games and their frontal lobes are going to be negatively affected. Yes, their actual brains are going to be negatively affected. We are raising up an entire generation of teens who don't know the first thing about seeking God and hearing His voice. We are headed for deep, deep, deep trouble as a nation 10 years from now. I can't even wrap my frontal lobe around that. But you know, the problem is right here and right now. The solution is right here and right now where you and I, personally, individually, whether you've got kids or not, we've got to get to that desolate place. Get focused. Kill our smartphones and then preach the gospel. Interestingly enough, CNN reported this. Americans ages 18 to 29 send and receive an average of nearly 88 text messages every day. 
compared to 17 phone calls. The idea is that texts have far surpassed phone calls. The numbers change as we get older with the overall frequency of all communication declining, but even in the 65 and over group, daily texting still edges calling by about four to three. In a Time Mobility poll, 32% of all respondents said they'd rather communicate by text than phone. Guilty. The problem, of course, CNN goes on to say, is what's lost when the chit-chat goes, when people are no longer talking. Developmental psychologists studying the impact of texting worry especially about young people, not just because kids are such promiscuous users of technology, but because their interpersonal skills have not yet fully formed. Pay attention. Most adults were fixed social quantities when they first got their hands on a text-capable mobile device, and while their ability to have face-to-face conversation may have eroded in recent years, it's pretty well locked in. This is not the case with teens. MIT psychologist Sherry Turkle is one of the leading researchers looking into the effects of texting on interpersonal development. Turkle believes that having a conversation with another person teaches kids to, in effect, have a conversation with themselves, to think and reason and self-reflect. This particular skill is a bedrock of development, she said, and I would add it's a bedrock of interpersonal skills. Why is it that kids can't communicate today? Why is it that ADHD is so prevalent today? Why is it that it's so hard to have a conversation with a young person and maintain eye contact? Do you think it might be? Gee whiz, maybe? Has something to do with all the games and all the texting and giving a kid a smartphone at an age that they're not old enough to be able to handle it responsibly? So in order to use a smartphone, you've got to be wise Turkle went on to say that the idea of saying I'm sorry in a text and hitting send is a vivid example of what's lost when we text instead of speak. A full-scale apology means I know that I've hurt you. The idea of saying it in person. I get to see that in your eyes, she says. You get to see that I'm uncomfortable, and with that, the compassion response, the way you're wired, kicks in. There are many steps, and they're all bypassed by using text messaging. When the apology takes place over the phone rather than in person, the visual cues are lost, of course, but the voice and the sense of hurt and contrition in it can be conveyed, at least in a phone call, not so in texting. Interesting. Finally, she said this, habitual texters may not only cheat their existing relationships, they can also limit their ability to form future ones since they don't get to practice the art of interpreting nonverbal visual cues. There's a reason it's so easy to lie to small kids and that's because they're functional illiterates when it comes to reading inflection and facial expressions. As with real reading, the ability to comprehend subtlety and complexity comes only with time and a lot of experience. If you don't adequately acquire those skills, moving out into the real world of real people can actually become quite scary. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
Jesus went to a desolate place, understood that the importance, what hinged on his being with the Father was his ability to minister publicly. Your ability to be of usefulness to God publicly will come in proportion to your private, personal intimacy with God. If you want to soar with God, if you want to have significant impact eternally and enjoy to the greatest possible degree your walk with God right now, you've got to find a desolate place. You've got to get focused. You've got to kill your smartphone and then you'll preach the gospel. That's the way it works. It's the first time in verse 43, chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, that the phrase kingdom of God is used. The kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is doing, preaching about the kingdom of God. He's sharing the good news about the kingdom of God in other towns as well. He says, this is the purpose for which I was sent. I was sent for this purpose. And that's why you are in the world right now too. You are in the world right now as a follower of Jesus Christ, assuming that you've given your life to him. Some of you might not have. Assuming that you've surrendered to Jesus, some of you might not have. If you've given your life to Christ, you are, you are now in this world. You are sent by Christ himself to preach the good news wherever you go to tell people about the kingdom of God and you will be successful in proportion to your discovery, rediscovery, your continual access to that desolate place, the secret closet where it's just you and your daddy. It's you and your heavenly father communing with him, listening to him, spending time in the word of God so that you tell others about the God of his word. And you have to be careful that you are being deliberate in seeking God because if you're not deliberate in seeking God, you will go through your life missing him. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.